Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. to discuss this week um you know it we're kind of we're still coming off this period where you know we had that week-long i don't know train wreck or whatever you want to call it uh in the house of representatives all the new congress um you know kind of new year uh out of the bat but now we're starting to get uh some you know some new stories that are not just uh george santos and his and his uh latest shenanigans although that uh continues to um provide us with with new stuff and actually i'll, I'll we'll get to this in a minute but um some pretty surprising surprising new stuff that came out last night that we can that we'll briefly get into um where where, uh we seem to be finally starting to get into the phase of where i think the real story starts which is a lot of indictments for like a lot of criminal activity um if if you didn't if you didn't notice um yesterday santos uh filed updated um updated FEC reports on his campaign, um, you know, uh, where the money came from and stuff like that. And um, revising those documents is not, is not uncommon. It's, it's actually, it, you know, it happens all the time. And sometimes the FEC can tell a candidate, yeah, hey, this doesn't make sense. Can you, can you provide more information on this, provide more information on that? Um, it's even the case that uh, sometimes with new, you know, new politicians, new candidates, the rules aren't, you know, assuming you're not someone who is a, uh, a future felon, right? Tr- even if you're trying to follow the rules, they're not always that clear and stuff like that. But one of the things that maybe the thing, the biggest mystery kind of at the center of the Santos story, once you get past, you know, not going to colleges he said he went to and not working at places he said he went to, because, you know, there's no there's no law against saying you went to Baruch if you didn't go to Baruch. You know, that's really kind of a caveat emptor for voters. In any case, big question is how did how did uh, Santos go from being a, you know, chronic deadbeat who was making fifty thousand dollars a year in 2020, which is not a lot of money in New in New York City, the New York City area, to someone who was making millions of dollars a couple of years later and was making so much money he could contribute 
upwards of a million dollars to his campaign. Okay. So yesterday he files these um he files these revised uh campaign reports and on the part of the uh filings where you talk about money you loaned your campaign. There is a thing that says where you check a box, it's my money that I loaned my campaign. Now you think that would go without saying. If it's not your money, you're not loaning it. So he continued to say that it is uh, that they're loans from him, but suddenly the box isn't checked anymore. So he's loaning his campaign money, but it wasn't actually his money. Now, that's a big no-no. You can't do that. You know, one of the biggest loopholes in the U.S. campaign finance system is that you can loan, you can donate or loan unlimited amounts of money to your campaign. You know, most people, what is it? You max out at fifty fifty eight hundred dollars or something like that. If it's you, you can donate tw- you know twenty million dollars to your campaign. So obviously, it's pretty important if it's your money, because otherwise, a couple billionaire friends can just fund your whole campaign directly by like, oh, I gave Josh ten million dollars, and oh, Josh decided to donated to his campaign, all kosher. Okay, so suddenly he seems to be saying maybe it wasn't his money that he loaned himself. Now, everybody's sort of kind of scratching their heads because, you know, it's in a way, it's not terribly surprising that it's not his money because how could it be his money? How could he be legitimately making that much money out of the blue? But he seems to be admitting to a felony in his revised filings. Um, so uh, there's more life in that story. And again, I think a lot of us have, have, have always thought that eventually, you know, who did he, you know, who, whose credit card did he use without permission in Brazil? Uh, you know, which, which roommate did he steal a scarf from? All, all this kind of stuff is, is, is great fun. But when you it's when you get into financial crimes that 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 you know the 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 um the 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 race is joined in a real way so uh we'll talk a little bit about that but we're going to talk about some other things too we have um we have this finally th- with the dobbs report you know f- supreme court going to get to the bottom of uh who 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 leaked that thing we have the ongoing uh, sort of both sizing of of uh, the Biden classified documents, and then out of the blue, kind of uh, you know couldn't happen to nicer guys. The 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 new the new uh, leadership up on Capitol Hill suddenly uh, uh, Mike Pence turns up with some classified documents, and you know all of these things are with Pence as much as Biden. I think these are clearly just um, inadvertent. Um, you know, mishandling of of uh, classified documents that I suspect is not. I don't know if it's if it's um, uh, you know very common at, at that level, but it, it's important to remember that uh, you know vice presidents, uh, chairman of Senate of of intelligence related Senate committees are handling like reports and stuff like that all the time. Who knows exactly what the details are? Uh, but both of them, I'm very confident, are pretty dramatically different from the situation with uh, uh, Donald Trump. Having said that, it sort of uh, you know immediately upends what was clearly the 
House Republican plan for the first half of 2023, which was a, a you know kind of nonstop uh, fake outrage about Biden and his classified documents. Um, that I mean, they made a good a good show of it yesterday. Basically, the head of the oversight committee, uh, the actual oversight committee, not this kind of uh, one-off Tucker Carlson oversight committee they've also set up, but basically said, you know, he lauded uh, Mike Pence for his transparent way of handling the problem. Uh, unlike uh, Joe Biden, who basically did everything exactly the same. So anyway, we're going to get into... Um, we are going to get into all of those questions. We're also going to talk about we've gotten the first ratings for the Senate contests in 2024. And as we've known for a while, uh, it's a pretty difficult map for Democrats, to put it mildly. Um, it's not necessarily that it's that there's a lot of races that they're like, you know, sure to lose in 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 really tough states. But they're on defense basically everywhere. The sort of the best case scenario is that you have something like what happened in 2022, which is that you've got a lot of races that are pretty competitive. And if they all went badly, you could have Republicans really not just take the majority, but take it by, you know, a few seats. Uh, so we're going to talk about all of that. But before we get started, let me remind you that the Josh Marshall podcast is brought to you by Grady's Cold Brew Ice Coffee. It's perfect for home, your office, your home office. You just add water and steep for fresh cold brew on demand from your fridge. You hear that? It's for your, your refrigerators congratulating you for making such a good decision. If you're ready to give it a try, you get 25% off at Grady's Cold Brew with promo code TPM. That's Grady's Cold Brew with promo code TPM. So, uh, Kate Riga, what what's what's on our agenda for today? So let's start by just kind of cleaning up the Dobbs report stuff from last week, because that happened the day after we recorded last week. On Thursday, we got the report from the marshal of the Supreme Court basically saying we were not able to lock down a suspect. Um, they brought in, you know, outside investigators to help with forensic stuff. They had randomly an old like, you know, the old DHS secretary, you know, give a thumbs up to the investigation and everything. Um, but the biggest question we were left with, aside from who actually leaked it, was, you know, whether or not the justices were investigated at all in this in this process, because the report, you know, refers to people as employees, uh, court personnel, you know, terms that you know, for better or worse, I don't think Supreme Court justices consider themselves employees of any kind, you know, yeah, they um, are the court. Exactly. And then we got a statement the next day from one, you know, I and probably every other reporter, whoever covers the court called called the court saying, you know, were the justices investigated at all? And then they put out a statement saying she, the marshal, did interview the justices, made much hay of how cooperative and interested they were, but then says that she didn't have them sign sworn affidavits, you know, promising that they didn't leak it and they didn't know who did. And that's stark because this report was not very long, you know, 20 something pages and multiple were given to 
And by the way, if any of these court employees are found to have lied to our sworn investigators and under oath, here are the various penalties from like the employee handbook level to the criminal penalties that they have exposed themselves to and that they could be uh, prosecuted under. So, you know, it was like this kind of little cover up thing of like, no, 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 we talked to them. But then it's like, and we also didn't use our best tool to ensure that anyone involved here was telling the truth on them. Wasn't it also the case that 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 they did not even say whether they even asked them if they did it. It was kind of couched in this sort of like, it was very collaborative. It gave them the opportunity to, you know, the the, the marshal. I mean, it's funny. There actually is like a marshal of the Supreme Court, right? <laughs> for all these kind of memes about it. Uh, you know, I was thinking the, that too. She was probably like, God damn it. I got to do something here. Yeah. <laughs> you know? kind of, yeah. To, 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 um, you know, kind of reclaim the reputation of the marshal of the Supreme Court, uh, that she got to ask questions, they got to ask questions. And so it's not just that they didn't like, you know, kind of put them under oath or make them sign a sworn statement. It was a little unclear. I mean, you could read it as almost like we're just giving them an update on the investigation. How's it going? Anything you want to add, you know, and all and all this kind of stuff. So, uh, yeah, it was a little, it, it, you know, it's 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 sort of that thing where it kind of like, you know, why are you looking for the keys under the street light? Well, that's that's the only way. That's the only place there's enough light to see, right? Well, you know, uh, and it's funny. I mean, I do think it's worth, I do think it's worth noting that government, you know, leaks happen all the time. They happen in Congress. They happen in the executive branch. And there is this, um, as we're, you know, as as we're talking about in a semi-related way with Biden and Trump and Pence, in the executive branch, there's this separate issue of classified documents where there's actually laws involved, right? You can't, you can't publicize this stuff. But the vast majority of leaks are just People talk about things and there's nothing there's there's you can be fired for doing that because obviously, um, uh, every, you know, there are very legitimate reasons why people at all levels of government don't want their kind of private decision making to become public. But that's also how we find out about things and find out what's happening in government. And there's no um, there's no there's certainly no legal reason. I'm aware of no laws that prevent anybody from, I don't know, leaking a draft or saying what's going on or, or whatever um, in, in the Supreme Court. And uh, there's no real reason why it's any different. Um, and certainly, like, if we might think less of a Supreme Court justice who did this, but it's not like like who really has any standing to investigate them frankly i mean the the chief justice of the supreme court has some you know loose uh sort of magisterial role running the court um, you know when he's in the majority he gets to make the decision about who writes the opinion um, but the power of the chief justice is minimal. It's not like he can like, if he got mad at Alito, he's like, I've had it with you, Alito, I'm firing you. You know, they're all constitutional officers, or I guess 
the 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 chief justice is is a constitutional officer. But the point is, they they don't, they're not working for the chief justice. And and even in a broader sense, who has any standing to in investigate them? I mean, the whole thing is the whole thing is kind of weird. And I think that in some ways, what it shows up is that the the Supreme Court right now is as dependent as it has ever been on this sense that they have this kind of, you know, Harry Potter hocus pocus that makes them different from the sort of the, you know, the normal mortals that that operate in the Senate and the executive branch, and they have this reasoning that they come up with, and don't 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 ask about it, don't don't even talk about it. It's just it's it's done, right? We're it, they're 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 operating under this aura that is what sustains them just kind of changing the laws willy nilly as they choose and and you know getting further and further not just from public opinion but further and further from the kinds of you know things like precedent and stuff that have that have generally uh given their actions legitimacy so i i really think and you know that that's kind of the real story here that they are their legitimacy, the, the, their, the legitimacy of their making these kinds of decisions and not being scrutinized is that's all under a lot of threat. And, and so, um, that, you know, that's kind of where the whole investigation comes from. So the sort of the bogusness of the investigation, I think, is, is can't be distinguished from the greater kind of, you know, crisis of legitimacy that the court has in general. Yeah. And it's just shot through with this like cult of piety that the Supreme Court justices have engendered from, you know, other people who work at the court and other kind of old DC types. Um, This like pretense that all these people pretend to believe that these people are apolitical, that they are morally upstanding in a way that no one else in government is. You know, it's the whole, it's how you have an investigation into this leak where the obvious benefit is to the conservative justices trying to lock in votes bef- like while this is being circulated. That's the it's just the easiest conclusion to draw, and it's the people who are involved who would be at the least personal risk at, at leaking the document. And yet they're not even they're not even thoroughly investigated at all. If they were investigated at all, which we barely even know, you know. And it's this it's such this really increasingly bizarre disconnect that while we have like Amy Coney Barrett and Kavanaugh and Gorsuch and Alito feeling comfortable going to the Federalist Society and getting a standing ovation for overturning the constitutional right like to we abortion. delivered for you. Exactly. Mission accomplished. Yeah. And then you yeah, have Clarence yeah. Thomas, you know, taking pictures with Herschel Walker, not even to mention like all the stuff his wife gets into. And then you have this investigator, you know, shaking down these clerks who are like the top 1% of Yale Law School who sure as shit don't want to lose this most prestigious job they can get and being like, did you tell your wife about this opinion? I mean, it's just, it's a sham. Well, it's also, and it's, it's, you're alluding to this point, but it's worth drawing out that, um, the it it it's it's certainly true uh 
the people who clerk on the Supreme Court have, you know, pr- pretty strong opinion. How could they not? They're, you know, kind of uh, either Federalist Society or American Constitution Society people. They've they've come up through the elite legal academy. Of course, they've got strong opinions. Um, but the what is on the line for them is immense, immense, immense. Not just um, in a uh, you know that they probably wouldn't be clerks anymore if they if they if they got in trouble for that, and um, you know if if they if they want to be future judges, if they want to be law professors, but even what many of them go on to do, which is go work at prestigious national law firms and make a ton of money that you know the it it's it is often um honored in the breach but those kinds of you know lying breaking trust the those kind of things really screw you up in a legal career even though we know that it's not like lawyers never never cut corners or never lie about things so the the, the idea that a um a clerk is going to take is going to make that move is is that's hard to it's hard to believe because what what is on the line for them is immense immense and even more for the for the professional staff who i would assume are fairly apolitical they kind of have to be it just wouldn't be a good job to be in if if you're kind of like a hardcore ideologue on one side, certainly for for you know for that, I mean the most logical thing to me, you know, what was it? There was actually a um, there was actually a a story about this that came out not too long ago, well after the Dobbs leak and everything. Um, basically, another case where it was clear that some fairly high profile decision. Uh, leaked in advance of it coming out on the conservative side. You're talking you, about Hobby Lobby. Was it? I don't remember whether it was Hobby Lobby. Um, because that story was by the Times, uh, like last spring, but it was about the former kind of leader in the anti-abortion movement who has since converted and reformed. And he said that his friend went to dinner with the Alitos and found out about the Hobby Lobby decision weeks before it came out. Right. So, okay. So maybe, maybe it was, I guess, I guess the, I guess the point is there seems to be, um, a decent amount of evidence now that, uh, big conservative decisions get aired a bit within the sort of the, you know, kind of elite right wing movement in advance of their coming out. I don't know whether we're shocked about this or not. Uh, doesn't shock me tremendously given, you know, given how that world um, works, so it it seems to me. I mean, I doubt that that uh, Alito gets on the phone with that one political reporter that had hey, got something for you, man. Meet me at the Starbucks. I'll, I'll I'm gonna I'm gonna something you're gonna be interested in. I suspect it is it is more like that. You know, given that this is the ultimate. You know, Hobby Lobby, whatever. That's fun, but. Overturning Roe is the big enchilada of all time of the, of the um, of the conservative legal movement, and they and this is when they kind of know it's coming. and And the real question was whether are you really going to overturn it, or are you just going to kind of notch it down almost to non existence, but still 
have the idea that you are in the line of, of, of road jurisprudence. So what seems most likely to me is, is that Alito, maybe others on, you know, uh, members of the, of the conservative faction on the court, just kind of, you know, showing friends what it looks like, where, the, where they're at. And maybe the justice did not think it was going to get leaked to Politico. I can believe that. Um, but uh, because I'm not sure that that I'm not sure that that's necessary for what they're wanting to do. Right. I mean, there's an argument that you just want to make clear within the movement, kind of like this is what's on offer. So if anybody wants to make clear to like Kavanaugh that, you know, get, getting going soft is not OK. In any case, so Alito, some one of the other conservatives kind of puts it into that world and someone in that world decides, you know what? I'm not leaving anything to chance. I, I want I want this to get out there. That that seems plausible. That seems plausible to me. I mean, again, I just don't think um, just I mean, <laughs> I'm frequently naive, but I, I just have a hard time believing that 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 like a, a justice directly does that. Why would they? They don't need to do that. Right. OK, so speaking of leaks, well, speaking of insecure documents. Yeah. So we find out that last week, a lawyer found about a dozen classified documents at Pence's uh, Indiana home. Uh, it's kind of he he asked the lawyer who has experience with classified documents to look through his stuff after Biden's uh, after the Biden revelations. Um, they put everything in a safe, you know, FBI comes and picks it up. National Archives have it. Um, and like you say, kind of the most interesting piece of this to me, this is what I've been wondering since the Biden thing came out, which is like, if you searched the homes of Obama and Al Gore and uh, Cheney and Bush, like, would you probably find these documents in all of them? Is this just kind of the deal that when you vacate the presidency, you just take boxes of junk and you never really look at it again? And because these people tend to live in big homes, they don't <laughs> come across them until something like this happens. Well, you know, it's a funny thing because I was thinking about this and I was going to say it's 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 because I'm a writer and many writers do this, but maybe it's just because I have an ego and many people with egos do this. I have boxes of my papers going back many years. They're basically just my notes, right? Mm -hmm. Kind of. Um, and, and, but it's not like, uh, I assume it is when you talk about the, you know, taking hundreds of boxes, but there's, you know, boxes of folders basically that I have. Um, and when I think about, when they talk about like a 13 hour search, even for the relatively few boxes of file folders that I have, Going through page by page, that will take a long time, a really long time. So I'm sort of surprised at like with the Biden thing, they said they looked through his home, right? 13 hours. And they're looking at memorabilia. They're looking at personal notes. I just as a, I mean, this doesn't have an, a, a huge amount of news relevance, but I, <sighs> They're talking about a lot of stuff. It would. I. I. I wonder what the process is. Do you just kind of? Oh, no. 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 I didn't really see the classified. <laughs> Are you looking for document by document? Because like when you're talking, I mean, and and there's a whole separate question of um, when you leave the vice presidency, you don't just take all your work product. Most of that is is government is owned by the government, regardless of whether it's classified. They're just government records, um, that, which is a whole separate thing. Um, 
and so a lot of it just goes to the National Archives because it's the it's it's the records of the history of the United States government. Um, so I don't know. So there's a whole separate question of what do you get to keep as just your personal stuff as opposed to the government stuff set, you know, apart from the classified stuff. But um, I would imagine there's that it's not uncommon. I mean, it would be helpful to get a sense both with Biden and with Pence. And remember, with Biden, he was a senator for like 35 years. And a lot of that time, I think he was um, he was Judiciary Committee, but I think he was also Foreign Relations for uh, for a significant period of time. Obviously, you're looking at a lot of classified stuff if you're if you're you know on a kind of a national security um, uh, uh, type committee. So it would be helpful to get a sense of like, you know, are we talking about there were a hundred thousand documents and they found six or seven that were classified, or like you know. 50 documents. I mean, it's definitely not 50 documents, but it would it would it would um it would be helpful to get a sense of that. And the other thing I think is that at that level, we know there's a whole ongoing thing about overclassification of documents. I think it's important not to conflate these things because these are the rules we operate by. And you can't say that whenever you screw up and you're like, "Well, we're classifying too much stuff anyway." Um I think a lot of stuff at the presidential level, vice presidential level, are basically like briefing papers. You know, here's what we think is going on in North Korea. Here's what we think about this. Here's what we think about that. Those are generally classified. Doesn't seem surprising to me that a few of those get filed in with with other stuff. I will say this, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something about this on the blog. Um, I said in a post yesterday that we assumed that all of Biden's documents, which seem to be in the neighborhood of like a couple dozen documents altogether, that I said, I assume they were all in the um, confidential echelon, which is the lowest level. Apparently, there's a CNN report from a few weeks ago that a few of those are SCI documents, which are the high level ones, the things that are very, you know, the kind of top secret and stuff like that. So it's not all black and white. Um, uh between Biden and Trump on that line, although there's countless other uh, differences, not least of which is it seems pretty clear to me that the Biden stuff is inadvertent and you shouldn't be sloppy and whatever, but there's a world of difference between finding something, immediately reporting yourself and handing everything over versus what uh, Trump did. I do think it is, um, it seems very clear that like, why was Pence having a lawyer go through all this stuff, obviously because of the Trump thing, right? So we're kind of getting everybody doing this because of the, uh, uh, because of Trump. So I, I suspect, I mean, I think we have decent evidence that it's not terribly uncommon. And that's probably not a, honestly, probably not a huge crisis. What's a huge crisis is when a president just kind of takes all of it and says it's his and refuses to give it back and and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, part of this, I think, is like the phrase classified documents is so entrancing to those of us who are not really on the inside of that world, because it sounds like I remember the, the famous picture um, of of Obama and Hillary Clinton, you know, while they were getting Osama bin Laden, while they're sitting in the room and the tension is radiating. And if you remember 
uh, Hillary Clinton has some papers in front of her that weren't like blurred out in the original. And that was kind of a kerfuffle. But right. it, it almost feels like that's what we think of when we think of these things. You're thinking like maps of nuclear facilities or, you know, kind of like exciting, sexy stuff like that. And obviously some of it is that. And we don't know, you know, we just don't know what's in these papers. But um, my boyfriend used to be in the army and he was telling me just kind of, he mentioned it offhand one time that he had secret clearance while he was in there. And I was like, oh my God, that's Ooh, so cool. Yeah, yeah. And then I was just like asking him more about it. And it was kind of like, you know, it wasn't that hard to get. And I was, I was like, oh, well, did you want to get top secret? You know, the next level up. And he was just kind of like, it's kind of, you know, I'll, you got to do work and like, what would be the point of it? I, I didn't use it that much in my day to day because he wasn't an intel, you know, but like, I do think that some piece of the momentum of these stories is just that we as laymen don't have a good grasp of everything that falls under the classified echelon, you know? And so it does make these stories seem kind of more thrilling when we, you know, there's a big possibility that we're talking about the classified thing being like a schedule or, you know, something that ends up being kind of more mundane. Well, I think, I think even, I think it's even uh, likely that again, you get, you know, there's a, there's a, a kind of a rising tensions between Pakistan and India, something that happens with some regularity and uh, the top people are trying to figure out what to do. And you get briefing papers that says, well, you know, the current head of the Pakistani government, we think this about them. There's, there's this thing, there's this with the, with the Indians, he knows this person and that person. And, and this is, this is all based on what the, uh, you know, U.S. intelligence world comes up with. Probably a lot of it is not that different from what you'd get if you just kind of read up in, you know, in public. Um, but obviously the US government, that's their information. They don't want it circulated. So it's classified. It's like confidential. And then you have, you know, if a few of those pages end up in the kind of in, in you know, 50 boxes in Mike Pence's house, I also wonder kind of like, you do have to have a big house. Right. <laughs> Just recently, I, uh, you know, we we uh, live in like everybody who lives in an apartment in, in New York City, a small apartment. And I'm always trying to like, OK, where can I put this? Not, not like my boxes of documents, just like where can I put the extra paper towels, right? Like, wow, like where do you put the 50 boxes in your, in your, in your house? Solution to this problem yeah, is making yeah. ex-presidents and vice presidents live in apartments in big cities in America. Yeah, so you just Telling can't, you there'd be no documents held yeah, on no, to. <laughs> no, no documents at all. Um, but then other stuff is like, uh, you know, here's the report from our guy, Fred, who works for the Indian right. prime minister and he's our spy. Mm -hmm. That's pretty, that's pretty delicate stuff because Fred would be in a, in a heap of trouble if it got out that he, that he works for the CIA. Um, so it runs this gamut and it's, you know, it, it, it's hard to know in many ways. Uh, it is a lot of this is replay of the, of the Hillary email stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's, it's, it's basically, it's basically nonsense. Um, but, you know, the Trump thing is is a world of difference. And that's just obvious. But again, for our for our current thing, the key is, is that it 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 just takes from the House Republicans this thing. They were going to ride like, a, you know, one of those waves you see out uh, either the videos, you know, waves 
in Hawaii or off the coast of Portugal where it's like a hundred feet tall and you're just riding that stuff for, for 20 minutes or something like that. This was going to be their thing. And now Pence kind of like rained on the party. And uh, in, in this limited situational sense, you know, couldn't have happened to nicer guys. And I don't mean Pence. I, you know, I don't think Pence is a P- Pence's grave sin is enabling people like Trump, but I don't think he's a Trump himself. I don't think he goes for this kind of stuff, you know, kind of taking, uh, 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 you know, stealing the the gold encrusted lozenges that 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 the head of North Korea gave me as a gift when I hung out with him in Singapore or whatever. I don't think that's his. I don't think that's his deal. You know, and the other part of the dynamic is, I think you wrote about this, Josh, but the way that you know the usual suspects have decided to glom on to the Biden thing and pretend like everyone's too stupid to see the difference between that and Trump. And, you know, it's been a while since there's been kind of a scandal. You can hang around Biden's neck. So, you know, this one seems like it'll do. Um, And that becomes more difficult, too, because before you could write a story that's like, Obviously, Trump's was worse, but Biden's is not good. You know, this is irresponsible. This is not befitting of a president. You know, he could pull a Dick Durbin and say his stature is reduced, you know. But Pence's situation is basically exactly the same. I mean, I'm already trying to think of how House Republicans are going to try to differentiate the Biden situation. And they'll probably say it came out more in like drips and drabs and it was in multiple locations or something dumb like that to try to make it seem. Well, I think they're, uh, like I think they're main. World. I think their main thing is, is that both Pence and Biden immediately called up the National Archives, or I guess, I'm not sure if you call the National Archives first or the DOJ first, say, hey, we found these. Can you come and get them? You know, first thing out of the, out of the, out of the thing. The Biden people didn't announce it publicly for several weeks. Mm-hmm. Y- you know, okay, that's, it, it, it's really not much to, 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 to hang a big, you know, a big, uh, a big difference on. So, right. And I don't yeah. think, I don't think we're still fully clear with the Biden situation, why everything was done in pieces like this. Um, you know, like we know that at first they thought there were only documents at the, at the office. Right. And then they realized like, oh, maybe we should search the home. But then we, it seems like there were one or two more home searches that did turn additional stuff up after the initial one? Well, I think my understanding of this, at least, okay, they're initially, they were moving this Biden pen center, this little kind of, you know, bespoke think tank that he used as his perch between the vice presidency and becoming president. That was like, closing down or being phased out. So there's moving the stuff and they're moving the stuff and they and they and and they find this. That they tell the DOJ that kind of moves moves that. So I think on their own they said, okay, let's 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 look through the stuff at his home just to make sure that there's not more. They're looking through and they do find a couple things and they stop and they say, okay, you know, we we found some stuff. We want you to come and get it. At the same time, this has uh, I think that may have been. When Merrick Garland said, "Okay, we're not just doing a kind of an internal review. I need to set to give this to a special counsel because I'm Merrick Garland. I'm going to give it to a Trump U.S. attorney." Like, okay, because because everybody who every everybody who investigates things has to be a Republican. We know this is the rule. And then the uh, the Biden people now. 
the Biden people say, hey, it was our idea to search, um, you know, to, to go to the FBI. Why don't you search the whole house? Just, just, you know, head to toe, look through everything. I think it was clearly voluntary, and I, I think they did suggest it. I think a more cynical view might say, like, they're doing an investigation. They're probably going to ask at some point. So why not be proactive and kind of say that you volunteered it? Um, but I, I think that's the sort of the, 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 the chain of events. And if you see there's um, uh, in the White House press briefings over the last several days, you know, uh, the Bidens have a little vacation, a beach house in Rehoboth. So now they're saying, well, about Rehoboth and, you know, kind of, you know, so uh, I'm sure I'm sure they'll uh, I mean, I would kind of wonder, like, like. Rehoboth? Well, you got it with the surfboard? I mean, you know, why, you know, why would you have any documents in Rehoboth? But who knows? But I think that is the, um, that is the progression of events. And I think, um, I think the Biden people were, you know, hey, we just found some documents. We're turning them over. That's, you know, kind of no harm, no foul. And kind of realizing like, okay, this is becoming an issue. So now we need to, you know, have you come and, and do a search. And, and I assume, um, you know, part of the logic of inviting them to do that, you know, kind of full soup to nut search of the, of, of, of his home is sort of like, you know, if they're doing it themselves or if it's partial, like, let's just get the home out of the way. Like presumably the home is the home part of this is done now. The FBI guys, you know, got to go to their heart's content. This is what they came up with. So you know, we've kind of we've 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 settled that out. And you know, it it, it is kind of Hillary's emails. All I wonder over if they'll again. be clamoring for Pence to be special counseled now or special <laughs> investigated. Well, did you see that that that? I mean, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what the argument for not doing it is. I mean, frankly, I think it was a mistake to to appoint a special counsel for for Biden because I think there's at least based on what we know, there's really no um, there's no evidence that there is a there there. You you get into this kind of circular argument of well, how are people going to trust there's no there there unless you appoint a special counsel, which obviously elevates it and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, you see all this kind of tut-tutting from the Dick Durbins and the, the uh, you know, the editorialists who you would expect it from. And you have from a lot of journalists because the Trump era put a certain kind of elite MSM journalist under a lot of pressure. Because you've got one guy doing tons of crazy shit. And that kind of forces you at some level to be saying, wow, president's breaking out a lot of laws right and left. And the fact that you're saying that a lot more about one side than the other side creates a kind of, you know, a both sides osmot osmotic crisis. Right, we need to come up with something, and 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 so when something that kind of gets into the into the ballpark, you really go to town over it. But yeah, I mean, I guess the real is question is which ex president or VP are we going to hear from next? Who who found documents? And I will say this: if anyone tries to disturb Jimmy Carter's peace, I'm going to have something to say about it. 
So yeah, no, it it is. Uh, um, well, it's a whole. I mean, it's it it is completely un- inconsequential to this story. But I am kind of curious what what each guy. It is each guy so far. Uh, uh, Harris is still the VP, so it's not relevant for her yet. What you decide to put in boxes in your house, set aside classified. But you know the idea is that that your papers are the you know the U.S. government's. And I guess what is it? Oh, I, another thing that came up is Biden's papers from his Senate days had, were were donated to the University of Delaware. Right, so that's where his papers will be. Um, I guess for senators, it's not the National Archives; that's presidency. Blah 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 blah. So, like, what about there? You know, and whose fault would that be? The University of Delaware is going to be in trouble now, anyway. Oh my God! There we go. All right, before we wrap, let's talk about these new uh, projections. We got them from the uh, Crystal Ball at University of Virginia, and then Cook Political Report. You know, which I'm sure listeners know are kind of specialized in doing this. Um, these big projections, you know, they're, they're not pollsters, but they do a lot of this kind of zoomed out. Here's the Senate landscape. Here's the House landscape. Here's the governor's uh, landscape. And so we got kind of their first cut on 2024 uh, in the Senate and for gubernatorial races. And Josh and I were, uh, you know, we were looking at these right before we started recording. And I, what I think was interesting is like right now in terms of the Senate, the common wisdom, you know, that kind of everybody's line is really hard map for Democrats. Uh, You got West Virginia to defend, Montana, Ohio, in addition to kind of the usual suspects of the the battleground swingy states, while the hardest seat Republicans have to defend is Rick Scott's in Florida. Kind of a a bummer for for Democrats. Um, And arguably Ted Cruz in Texas. That's your one of those. (laughs) Yeah, it was. I mean, he wasn't. What was the final? What was the final for him in 2018? Like he didn't. I mean, he obviously won. He didn't Mm -hmm. win by a lot. I think he won by what three or four points. Uh, Two point six percent. Okay. I mean, you know, he's and and that was in 2018. Yeah. So basically a pretty killer year for uh, uh, Democrats, although it didn't really help them much in the Senate. So, you know, there's always hope with Ted. But yeah, it's, 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 there's not, it's not like you have like w- what you had in 2022 with Pennsylvania, where you say, okay, retiring Republican, that's basically a Democratic state. Not a, not a, not a blue state, purple state, but I mean, it sends, it, it sends Democratic senators. It's had a string of, of Democratic governors. Um, so you don't have anything like that. You have some sort of like reaches that maybe you could pick up. And then you've got three seats maybe that are like a challenge. Mm-hmm. And then a lot of seats that could, just could go badly in a bad year. Right. Yeah, that's exactly it. And so what I thought was interesting is um, these two places were very similar a lot of almost all their ratings were the same. Where they diverged is that Cook was more bullish for Democrats on West Virginia and Montana. And that's obviously uh, Joe Manchin and John Tester, neither of whom have officially announced that they're running again. And I do think these ratings are pretty predicated on them running again. Because, I mean, if Joe Manchin doesn't run in West Virginia, Republicans are going to get that seat. You know, same with John Tester. It, all of this kind of depends on having these uh incumbents who have proven that they can operate and win as Democrats in hugely red states running again. And then the other difference was that um, 
actually the the crystal ball was a, a bit more bullish on Pennsylvania. Put that in the the likely Democratic uh, category versus Cook putting it in in leans Democrat. Um, but otherwise, you know, pretty similar. Like they're putting uh, Michigan, Wisconsin, Nevada, all leaning Democratic to begin with. Um, they got Ohio, Sherrod Brown as a toss up. Uh, they have Arizona as a toss up, obviously, thanks to what looks like, you know, if cinema runs will be a three way race between her, Ruben Gallego, who formally announced on Monday and uh, whoever the Republican is. But I think, you know, an interesting theme that kind of ran throughout these analyses was that so much of it is going to come down to Republican candidate quality the same way that we saw this cycle that, you know, like, Arizona is a winnable seat for Republicans, but not if you run Blake Masters, right? And the thing is, like, I got through reading these and I was like, well, obviously, that's that's a problem they're going to fix, right? Because it's pretty much everyone attributes it to being the biggest reason why they didn't win the Senate this year. But then you have the problem of part of the right wing lurch of the Republican Party is that you've got to get someone nuts so enough that they can win a Republican primary and then who's able to either relocate to the center or rebrand or somehow recharacterize themselves enough that you can win a general election in these like purpley states. And that is proving pretty difficult to achieve. I, I, and I would say in, in the, the lesson of certainly of 2022, arguably 2020, is there's not a lot of attempt to reposition. It's not like Blake Masters was like moving to the center. I mean, I guess you can say he sort of, you know, pulled some abortion stuff down off his site. But basically, they're trying to run as 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 uh, Blake Masters. And the other, you know, the other side of this though is that um, uh, Mark Kelly and Kristen and Kirsten Cinema both beat what 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 is her name? Um, they both beat the same candidate, the 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 woman who oh, was the Air, Air Force. Yeah, didn't they both beat McSally in successive? I think I have that right. I think that's right. I think yeah, that's 2018, right. she was appointed. Mm -hmm. Blah 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 blah. Right. Um, yeah, she lost. Then she was appointed, and then Mark Kelly ran against her, and she lost again. And um, she was the sort of first tier candidate that the national committee is going to want to run. You know, she's a woman, she's a veteran, um, she's pretty conservative, but she's not doing big lie stuff. Mm -hmm. And she lost twice. Um, so, and, and the other thing in a kind of, uh, it kind of goes without saying, but we sort of lose some sense of it in our kind of hyperpolarized era that, it really depends what's happening in 2024, mm -hmm. right? I mean, if uh, if it's a bad year for Democrats, they could lose five or six seats. And if it's a bad year for Republicans, they could have what basically happened in 2022, that you roll up all those close-run close seats. Um, and, uh, you know, you probably have... Um, you probably have just because they're human, they're really good, but they're still human. Uh, you probably have the prognosticators at, um, center for politics and cook reacting to 2022, mm -hmm. you know, the <laughs> Democrats kind of, you know, uh, uh, turn out to, to pull some of these out. And one, you know, one thing, just one more point on this. One thing about the, uh, Montana race is that, one of the holdouts, and is it Rossendale? I can't remember. 
I'm forgetting the guy's name. Matt Rosendale, right? Yeah, Matt. Okay, Matt Rosendale uh, in the house. Who ran against Hester before. Ran against Hester before is seen generally as, you know, in the bad candidate mold mm-hmm. um, by the national, you know, national committees and stuff like that. He was clearly pushing hard on the anti-McCarthy, you know, kind of put all of that kind of stuff to gain the non-Rhino right-wing cred because the idea is he wants to run for the Senate seat again. Um, And so maybe he'll get it. And I wouldn't, I mean, I have no idea what's going on in John Tester's life, but I'd be surprised if he does, if he doesn't run. Me too. Um, Manchin is another story. I, 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 no idea there. Um, and that's kind of, that's kind of worrisome. I mean, if, if Tester doesn't run, it's pretty bad news for Democrats. Um, not as bad news as Manchin not running though. Montana yeah. has never been as wildly pro-Trump as, as, as West Virginia is. And I think in the, uh, uh, Kyle at, um, at center four was, was saying that, you know, it's presidential year. Last time, uh, last time mansion ran, it was in 2018. Strong, strong democratic year, not a presidential year. Um, if you have Trump on the ballot and Trump is winning, uh, West Virginia by 40 points, is he going to be able to get that much crossover? That's, that's tough. That's tough. Yeah. And, it also will come down to who who they run in West Virginia, right? And I think what is a little worrying there is Jim Justice as the governor who's pretty popular. Uh, he's term limited. so Also a former Democrat. Ah, I didn't know that. But so there's... I'm pretty... We'll, we'll, for our listeners, we'll check that. I'm pretty certain that's the case. I think he actually... I think he was actually originally elected as a Democrat hmm. to the governorship. Um, but that... but that kind of that's important because notwithstanding being a republican now he comes out of that kind of you know good old boy bring in the federal spending kind of mold that you know bob bird was that was that thing joe manchin kind of you know still benefits from that so he's it's it's not like he's some kind of like wild trumper that maybe you could, notwithstanding the the Trump stuff, you could work on that in a bad candidate way. I have, you know, no idea. Yeah. So, but he, you know, they're thinking he might run. The only thing we know for sure about Manchin is that he said he doesn't want to run for governor. So, you know, for him, it seems like it's kind of either senator, out. he's out of politics. Did I see something where, where people were talking about him running for president? I, oh I, don't, I, I, I don't think that was more than... You know, a lot of times stories like that get generated because someone says, hey, let's ask me if he wants to run for president. Right. And, and he says, <laughs> and he says something like, well, I'm not making, you know, right, 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 right. Not taking anything off the table. And so I'm like, hey, you might run for president. But, you know, who, 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 who knows? I, I, I think that, um, I think Joe Manchin has really enjoyed the last few years in which he is the toast of the toast of everything and and all that kind of stuff. And he's constantly on the shows and blah, 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 blah. So, um, you know, I don't think he wants to run and lose. So I think I'm 
pretty sure he'll run if he thinks he's got a solid shot. Like, I don't think he's just going to retire because he's like done. Yeah. And I think in terms of candidate quality elsewhere, probably, I mean, the race to watch has got to be Arizona, right? Because we already have cinema potentially playing spoiler, but Arizona is also just so, has such a rich history of producing absolute wingnut Republicans, you know? And we know that Blake Masters is considering running a gun. It's like pretty obvious that Carrie Lake is going to at least heavily consider running there. And will if she they, may, but I wonder will will she be able to justify when she's already governor? You can't you can't <laughs> hold two offices at one time, right? Yeah, and is also campaigning to be uh, Trump's VP pick, so she's got a lot on her plate. But if they get someone like that, I mean, again, cinema is the X factor who very well could play spoiler to Gallego, but that's just still much easier climb than if they get somebody sane in that seat who could be attractive to someone who, you know, doesn't dig the kind of democratic infighting that's going to happen on the other side. Or doesn't dig, you know, I think another question with Gallego, he is, he's pretty progressive. He, yeah. he, he represents an extremely blue district. Um, he is clearly, wisely, presenting himself, introducing himself as a guy who grew up in very, uh, very poor circumstances, I believe with a single mother. He served in the army. Uh, I'm not sure if it was the army or the Marines. 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 Mm -hmm. Um, You know, that thing. Uh, But he's, he's not Mark Kelly. Or Kirsten Cinema, or at least not Kirsten Cinema 5.0, whatever kind of version of herself that she's running at, you know, uh, r- running as now. One thing I will, one thing I will mention. I think it's important for re- uh, listeners to keep an eye on. There was a lot of reporters were asking Senate Democrats this week, "Who are you going to support? Are you going to support the Democrat? Or are you going to support your colleague Kirsten?" Um, and and it it. One question is, you know, who's the national committee going to support? The Democratic Senate Senate committee. Now, this gets a little complicated because it is pretty galling to hear that um, the incumbent senators might be uh, supporting cinema. But remember, she's still caucusing with the Democrats. Yeah. And that is what they do with Bernie. That's what they do with Angus King. Uh, in, you know, in those cases, there's sort of a, you know, everybody knows in Vermont, in Maine, those people are going to, are going to be functional Democrats. So the mm-hmm. Democrats don't even field a, right. field a candidate. They clearly are fielding a candidate now. And it's a very different thing. But, you know, they've got a year and a half to deal with. They don't want to have her caucus with the Republicans or make more trouble for them. And, you know, we also have the Senate brain issue. She's their friend, or at least she's a colleague they have to to get along with. But the thing that really jumped out at me, what all of them said is, we don't want to get ahead of her. We don't even know if she's running yet. That That was very interesting to me because... They seem to all, you know, when they say don't get ahead of, you know, if you're running, what is there to get ahead of? You know, are you supporting me or you're not? So that made me wonder even more than I have already been wondering, which is a lot, whether she's even going to run. Um, 
and again, go back and look at the. There was it was like an Axios or Semaphore, or one of the one of the newsletters. Uh, g- you know, getting into this, um, w- what they were going to do, and they were all kind of like, we don't want to, we don't want to get ahead of what she's going to decide. Uh, give it time, blah 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 blah. So I think a lot of them are kind of thinking she's not going to run. So let's not let's not let's not get into this now because the problem may solve itself. And I do wonder whether she will run because uh, you know who knows who the republic i mean if the republicans are lucky they'll get like doug ducey mm-hmm. who's who's popular two-term governor um you know ended uh ended his tenure still fairly popular he's at least given signals that he's not interested but who knows you know who knows what's going to happen there um but it really seems to me, given how much she has damaged herself, that the polls are going to have, you know, maybe the Republican a little ahead of Gallego, but like Kirsten Cinema down at 10%. And like, do you really want to end your Senate career like that? Like not just losing for re-election, but being like a, th- a, a third party candidate who, I, I wonder. I've been thinking about this too, because this primary for Arizona Senate is not until August 2024. That is so far away. And obviously here, Gallego made his move early to clear the field, to make himself the kind of the Democratic candidate, the the way to weed out other serious Democrats who might be interested. Um, But you're right. I mean, this is something I've been thinking about a lot. What does the National Party do here? You know, because like you say, you don't want to piss Cinema off and have her kind of pettily say, well, fine, I'm going to go hang with the Democrat or with the Republicans for the rest of my term then, you know. And do they do the whole, well, we don't get involved in primaries. But the thing is, like, she's not a Democrat. It's not her party. (laughs) You know, like that, the kind of go to things there. And like you say, obviously, they kind of make exceptions for Bernie and Angus King and people who act like normal Democrats. But she's not a Democrat. And there is a real Democrat running. So it does. It puts them in a bind, you know, if she does decide to run. It's not going to be sustainable for the party committee to support her. They're not going to be able to support her. It just because there's going to be there's going to be a Democratic primary. The state Democratic Party is not happy with her at mm-hmm. all. So the idea that they're going to run, a, they're going to hold a primary and have a nominee and the National Party isn't going to support that's that is not going to happen. The question is like how how heavily they get involved and then also critically how the individual senators act. Are they going to raise money for a Gallego? Um, and just at a basic level, are they going to get behind him and endorse him? I, I think in practice, given given everything that has happened over the last couple years, they will have to get behind Gallego. And there will be questions about, are they giving him 70% or 100%? But you know this this isn't a the obvious precedent for this is what happened with Joe Lieberman back in uh I can't remember if it was 2006 or 2004 um but when he ran it as independent one blah 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 that was a very very different time very different set of circumstances uh different era blah 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 but um there's a lot of uh you know, this isn't like AOC running against Chuck Schumer, where you say kind of like, hey, we've got a senator. Mm-hmm. 
don't do this. This is this is, you know, just because you can win a primary doesn't mean you kind of upset the apple cart. This is someone who has totally trashed her support among Democrats um, in the state. And you risk um, you risk inviting just all sorts of national intra-democratic bad mojo if you've got this and that senator saying, yeah, no, I'm not supporting the Democratic nominee. I'm supporting right. this independent who actually kind of screwed us over a lot. Right. Yeah. So I, I want to briefly mention some of the other races on this list. Ohio is going to be one of the most scrutinized where, you know, Sherrod Brown has almost become something of a phenomenon within Democrats that he is has been able to win and win fairly easily, even as the state becomes you know, kind of much redder with every election cycle. And I think especially this year, because we just came off the midterms where Tim Ryan was, by all accounts, a pretty as good a candidate as Democrats could have fielded there. Um, I think he ran a, a really good campaign. And, you know, he, he lost by kind of a lot. He lost yeah. by the same amount that Biden uh, lost the state uh, in 2020. So it's an unavoidable reality that that state has become much redder than even a few cycles ago when it was mentioned in the same breath as the other, you know, swingy battleground states. Yeah. So I think that's going to be another place where candidate quality matters an awful lot, because if Republicans run a dud, Sherrod Brown has shown that his kind of ec economic populist thing is popular, has crossover appeal. He's an incumbent, a longtime incumbent, you know, so he's a formidable force. And he, again, it feels like that, you know, he's the best person that Democrats could possibly run in the state. Yeah. And, and I'm, I, I, I'm a big fan of his and, uh, I've met him a couple times. Uh, you know, I think he's, but what was the margin in 2018? How much did he win by in 2018? Let me see. Like he won by, you know, a solid, but not overwhelming. I mean, the, the contrary argument is it was a strong Democratic year. Um, now, uh, Claire McCaskill went down. What was he it? Got, so he got 53.4 to the Republicans, 46.6. Okay. So, so I mean, that's a blowout, very decent. but a solid, a solid win yeah. um, in what is always going to be a kind of a close run state. I mean, it sounds like he did almost as well as, uh, as Vance did, you know, kind of said, what is it? It was Vance ended up being, it wasn't 45, 55. It was, it was something like 53, 47, wasn't yeah, it? I thought it was category? like an eight point spread or so. Yeah. Um, so maybe a little better. Um, so the pessimistic, I think, interpretation of that is six years ago, things keep changing in Ohio. Um, and he had incumbency and he had all the anti-Trump stuff. So, um, you know, we sort of we don't know how how strong Sherrod Brown is 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 going to be in that state. I do think he has, um, you know, he he has a politics that is about as good a politics as you can have for a Democrat um, in that state. And uh, trying to remember, they ran that 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 little goober guy who's run for like twenty different things. What's his name again? You're talking about it was the the state level lawmaker, right? Um, well, no, you're talking guy, about the, against Brown. Yeah, wasn't it the guy who's a was it Jim Renacci? No, it's well, maybe maybe he was the candidate, but uh, 
there's this other guy, um, a perennial losing candidate who keeps being run for things. Josh, Josh Mandel. I, I, maybe he ran, maybe they ran Mandel against him 12 years ago. I I can't remember. Um, but, uh, but who knows? That's going to be anything in Ohio is going to be a tough, uh, a tough thing. And um, we've also seen that, you know, these different states operate differently, that you have, um, you know, that there's a decent chance uh, John Tester wins in Montana, even though that is a solidly red state. Missouri. Claire McCaskill lost in Missouri. Um, and I don't think even, I don't think people are even talking really about, about Josh Hawley having much of a, having much of a problem there. Um, so you've got those kind of border state, um, you know, Ohio is not a border state in the sense that Missouri is a border state. Obviously, these these um, labels are pretty long in the tooth. We're talking about something that happened 150 years ago. But there's still a – in both of those states, there is a significant portion of the state that is culturally part of the American South. Um, and that makes a big difference. And that, and that distinguishes them from Pennsylvania, Michigan, even though, you know, the the uh, the cliche is is that you know what is it everything between Pittsburgh and Philadelphia yeah. is like Alabama right. but still it's it's a little different mm-hmm. um, yeah so totally you know. and then in those uh, you know the ones you were just mentioning kind of in Pennsylvania you've got Bob Casey running which I think kind of contributes to people being a bit more bullish as just yeah. you know he's from a, a very long proud family name tradition in the state. He's like kind of the nicest, most mild mannered senator. I mean, he's just he's been doing it for a while. Uh, He did say uh, recently that he got a diagnosis of prostate cancer. So that is a a factor. But when he announced it, he basically said outlook is very good, uh, not too concerned, getting good treatment kind of thing. So if he runs, that one seems that's going to be a big climb for Republicans, I think. And then in Nevada, you have Jackie Rosen running again. Um, you know, it's kind of a solid, you know, I, I don't mean it this derogatively, but like backbencher Democratic senators kind, kind of, of machine politicians. Right. Yeah, kind of a machine, not in a sense of, of corruption, but someone who's come up through that, you know, Democratic machine in, that Harry Reid built mm-hmm. in um in uh, in Nevada, and um, you know, I'm stepping on eggshells here, but that tends to, you know, in some states you have people who sort of come out of the blue, maybe they're businessmen who are self-funding mm-hmm. or kind of come in with their own brand. These are not like that. These are people who have been part of a of a movement in in Nevada over the last 25 years that has changed what was once a very Republican state to one that is now not a not a very Democratic state, but ends up consistently being a Democratic state, albeit by narrowish margins. Um, so yeah, they're kind of similar in that in that sense. And in and in Nevada you have um 
you know, you have that weird thing where it's all kind of about can the Democrats get enough people and to show up in Las Vegas that it, uh, you know, that it, um, that it overwhelms the militia folks in the rest of the state. <laughs> I know I'm, yeah. I'm going to get in trouble. And there's other parts of the, there's other there's other urban areas in Nevada besides Las Vegas. But you're talking to someone whose school went on a ton of field trips in ur, in in rural Nevada. Um, in the in the 1980s and like 1980s is a while ago but not that while ago for rural nevada it's a con i mean it's idaho outside of it's idaho plus outside of those you know outside of those areas so so yeah i think it's similar to that similar right. to that race and then the last in that batch is michigan which debbie stabenow is not running for re-election there so you know it will be an open seat um but it just strikes me as in all kind of the the quote unquote battleground states that Democrats would probably feel most comfortable where they have to field a new candidate and not an incumbent, it would probably be Michigan. Because I mean, that of the of the the holy trinity of kind of Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan, I think Michigan has been the most kind of reliably across the board blue of those in the recent cycles. And also Michigan is just kind of bursting with young female talent in particular. You know, their state legislature has become super female this last election. They've got female governor, you know, female AG, female secretary of state. There's just like a lot of... And they also control and they control the state legislature for the first time in like a quarter century. Right. And there's, is it, I believe it's Alyssa Slotkin, um, Mm -hmm. who is now, I think, in her third term in the House. Um, The people I know who are kind of pretty wired in, 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 in Michigan politics basically say like, it's her. It's it's going to it's going to be her. And, um, you know, the thing with the thing that makes her a particularly attractive candidate, I think, is that she's in a swing district. She's not in. I mean, even this year, she was one of the you know, one of the endangered perceived as one of the endangered people, even though I think she won, you know, relatively handily. So what she brings to the table is is saying, you know, I'm not someone who's just been like killing it in a blue district. I've been kind of operating in the statewide climate. And she can say that she has now won. I'm pretty sure it's three times, 18, 20 and 22 that she's that she's run three totally different political environments, 18 Democratic wave year, 20, the COVID year, presidential year, all the different stuff. And then 2022, what seemed, you know, what seemed to be a kind of a, a was supposed to be a wave year for Republicans and shield on. So I, I think they've got a pretty good person. I, I, I kind of assume that guy who they've had running is James. I can't, I'm spacing on his name, who they've had uh, African-American Republican. John James, right? John James, uh, who they've had running for office, who's run for like 10 things over the last few years, but he finally just won a House seat. Um, So that, they clearly see him as as a dynamite candidate. Um, So we'll see. (laughs) Which is funny because he's lost to both. Debbie Stabenow and Gary Peters. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, 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 you know, it, it, it does cut both ways. Um, he's, he's, he's lost. He's, he is, it will be his third. I'm sure, I'm sure other candidates who want to run for that seat will say, like, do you, do we need to give you a third shot? Right. 
at losing in the Senate. He's kind of like that Josh Mandel guy in, um, in Ohio. So, yeah. So that's, you know, we're talking what a, a year in advance, but that's, that's what the landscape looks like now. And I think, you know, as we've been talking, kind of our, our big themes are who are Republicans going to run against this, like o- almost completely slate of Democratic incumbents. And then, you know, really, unfortunately, the, the same people we've been talking about for the past freaking two years, it's going to be a cinema run, does mansion run, you know, and a, a lot is going to kind of shake out in accordance with the with who who gets these slots and who ends up running. Yeah. And, and again, it's, you know, people understandably kind of think of those two as peas in a pod, you know, saying, you know, kind of just just two sides of the same coin. And however, in this case, you really don't want her to run and you really want Joe Manchin to run. You want to be sending all of your checks to Joe Manchin because the, Joe Manchin doesn't run. You basically bake in a lost Senate seat just from the get-go and in and, perpetuity and, probably <laughs> yeah and and in perpetuity so you really you really do want him to run and obviously you got a 51 seat majority you're then you've got to run the table everywhere so um yeah go joe mansion everybody's favorite democrats <laughs> it's what we've been senator. saying all along <laughs> yes exactly 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 okay well uh let me remind you that the josh marshall podcast is brought to you by grady's cold brew iced coffee you can get 25 percent off if you use the promo code tpm at grady's cold brew.com that is i think that's it for this week all right we'll see you next week later The Josh Marshall Podcast is hosted by me, TPM reporter Kate Riga, and TPM founder, editor-in-chief Josh Marshall. The show is produced by Jackie Wilhelm. Thanks to Why Not Jansfeld for our podcast theme song, and thanks to all our TPM members who make this possible. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, and subscribe wherever you listen. find cars like these on auto trader like that car riding your tail or if you're tailgating right now all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on auto trader too are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time well multitasking pro cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on auto trader new cars used cars electric cars maybe even flying cars okay no flying cars but as soon as they get invented they'll be on auto trader just you wait auto trader